Well, we'll open our Bibles to John chapter 8 today. As we mentioned last week, we're taking advantage of the Lenten season uh, to prepare ourselves for the celebration or the commemoration, we should say, of Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, which we will be celebrating in the weeks ahead. So this Lenten period is a time of preparation, and uh, we're focusing on some of these important subjects, as we will do today. Here in John chapter 8, we read a story that Jesus teaches us that has profound meaning for us today. It says in uh, John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Verse 3, now in the midst of all of this, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, as we read this story, we come to see that this, this whole incident was actually set up by the Pharisees as a means to trap Jesus. That was their goal in this whole thing. They weren't all that concerned about the woman. They kind of just used her as a prop or, or a tool, although she truly was a sinner and she was caught as they said that she was. But they wanted to trap Jesus into saying something by which they could convict him of wrongdoing. Now, adultery, for sure, is a sin, but it requires the participation of both a man and a woman. <laughs> in order for it to happen. But interestingly enough, only the woman was brought and not the man. So this kind of gives you a hint that the man was probably a colleague of the Pharisees or maybe paid off by the Pharisees and they let him escape. So to be caught in the act, that was important because the Jewish law required witnesses in order for somebody to be prosecuted for breaking the law. So that's why it happened in that particular way. And in verse 5, they go on to tell Jesus, as if Jesus didn't know, he, he knew exactly, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And it says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now the Old Testament and we can look up the scripture, I won't do that, but it's in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 22 through 24. In the Old Testament, it did not specify stoning as a punishment unless the woman was already engaged to another man. And we don't know if it was the case here. The law then would require the execution of both the man and the woman. That's what the law said. So they were kind of twisting the law a little bit here to uh, trap Jesus. They were misusing the law. Now the Romans did not allow the Jews to carry out the death sentence. So here's the trap that they tried to spring for Jesus here. If Jesus said, go ahead and stone her to death, he would be accused of breaking Roman law because the Romans did not allow the Jews to perform executions on their own since the Romans were overall in charge on the other hand, if Jesus said not to stone her to death, he would have been accused of breaking the Jewish law. So you see, they kind of 
caught him in a catch-22. No matter which way he answered, yeah, go ahead and stone her to death, or don't stone her to death, either way, uh, they would find reason to accuse him and to bring him before the authorities. So notice what Jesus said. His answer was brilliant. It says, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger in the dirt. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So Jesus supported the Old Testament law of stoning, but he set his own guidelines for who was allowed to throw stones so that no one ended up being qualified to do it. So it was the perfect answer. It was a brilliant answer. And thankfully, they were all convinced or convicted in their hearts that they were sinners too, because it goes on to say here in verse 9, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, hopefully because they had the most wisdom, <laughs> until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave your life of sin. So Jesus did not condemn her. He had every right to do that, but he didn't. Although he didn't condone her sin, he didn't condemn her. So Jesus stood by the woman in the face of her accusers, and he stayed there with her, defending her, protecting her. And I want you to know that this story of Jesus standing in this circle, I read one author and he called this kind of a circle of shame that this woman stood in. Her accusers surrounded her and they were determined that they were going to get this woman stoned to death and they were determined that they were also going to trap Jesus in, in this whole episode. But I want you to notice the way Jesus stood by this woman. Was she a sinner? Absolutely. Was she guilty of the sin she had been accused of? Well, she was caught in the act, so yeah, she was guilty of it. But nevertheless, Jesus stood with her in her circle of shame or her circle of accusers or her circle of judgment. He stood there with her. I want you to understand that what Jesus did here is the same as what he does for each and every one of us. We are all sinners, aren't we? <laughs> Not just in the past, but even as Christians from time to time, we slip up and stumble and do something we shouldn't do. And I want you to know that Jesus is there with us, standing in our circle of shame, in our circle of accusation, defending us and protecting us. I want you to turn to John chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. So in other words, this story is directly applicable to us as Christians. And as we look into this a little bit further, I want you to come to, to appreciate Jesus and the role that he plays in your life on a daily basis. Notice what it says here. Why didn't Jesus condemn this woman who was obviously a sinner? 
Well, this is something that Jesus says in John 3, beginning in verse 17. Notice, Jesus says this, For God, the Father, did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So we have all, all of our lives, lived in sin. Now we all here have come to the point in our lives where we came to hear the gospel and understand who Jesus is, why he came, what he did. He lived the perfect life and then went to the cross. Why? To pay the penalty that we all owe because of our sins. Now, Jesus Christ is the judge, and he stands at our side, in our circle of shame, in the face of our accusers, and pronounces us not guilty of our sins. Well, wait a minute. Did we, did we perform the sins? Yes, we did. But nevertheless, because of what Jesus did on our behalf, of taking the punishment for our sins upon himself, he now pronounces us not guilty. He carried the guilt that we owed because of our sins. He took it upon himself and paid the price for it. So just as in the case of that woman taken in adultery, he was able to say, neither do I judge you. So he didn't judge the woman. And because of what he did, his sacrifice on the cross for us, he does not judge us. That doesn't give us freedom to sin. You know, like Paul said in one of his epistles, because we have grace from God and forgiveness of sin, does that mean we could just go out and sin even more so we can enjoy more grace? Paul says, God forbid. Of course not. We don't obey God in order to be saved. We obey God because we are saved. And our obedience is a response to his free gift of grace and forgiveness for us. Okay, so that's why Jesus said, I'm not going to judge you, but go and sin no more. Do your best. Stop doing what you're doing. And he says the same thing to us. So just as this woman had accusers, we have accusers, don't we? In fact, the Bible tells us who our main accuser is, and that's found back in Revelation 12. Turn back there, and it happens to be Satan the devil. Revelation 12, beginning in verse 9. Satan specializes in accusing. It says here in verse 9, Revelation 12, the great dragon, at Satan, was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers and sisters 
who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So Satan is the accuser of the brethren, as the Bible says. He, too, can be aware of our sins. In fact, he tempts us, as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. And as he tried to do with Jesus in the wilderness, he tempted them to try to sin. Of course, Adam and Eve failed, but Jesus did not. And thanks be to God for that. <laughs> because he was to be the perfect lamb without blemish when he went to the cross to be the sacrifice for our sins. So Satan is involved in accusing us on a regular basis. In fact, Satan in Hebrew means accuser. So that's what he does. He goes before God and he tries to accuse us of our sins. But as God looks down upon us, he sees Jesus standing there with us in that circle of accusers, if you will, proclaiming us to be not guilty. Did we do it? Yes, we did. But nevertheless, the penalty has been paid. And we are now given the not guilty of verdict in our lives. And that's by the grace of God that we have that. Do we deserve it? Absolutely not. But that's the God we worship. That's what he was willing to do on our behalf. And it's not just Satan, or I, I should say, Satan doesn't just accuse us to God. A lot of times Satan accuses us to ourselves. We circle ourselves with our own negative feelings, depressed, discouraged feelings about ourselves. Because we're aware of our sins, let's face it. When we do slip up, and hopefully that's less and less as, you know, the years go by in our Christian walk with God. But I don't know. Uh, you know, if, if you ask me, is there any one day you can remember where you didn't do something wrong? <laughs> I would be hard-pressed to come up with, with that day for you. So we convict ourselves. We convince ourselves. We start thinking to ourselves, well, we're worthless. We're, we're, we're no good. We're this. We're that. And we can get ourselves pretty depressed by doing that. But that's when we need to be reminded of the fact that Jesus stands with us, just as he did with the woman in that circle of accusation, in the circle of shame, if you will. And we should be encouraged. We should be assured. We should have confidence that our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he does not judge us. Why? Because he came to save us, not to judge us. So we need to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as, as your Savior, or if you hear the gospel and flatly reject it, then is Jesus standing there with you? Do you have that confidence? Well, I don't see how you can. But he died for the whole world. He wants to fulfill this role as high priest and Savior for everyone. For all who come to him, who believe in him, who recognize him for being the son of God and the savior of the whole human race. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. You know, I can't imagine how this woman felt. Well, I guess I can in a way because I felt the same way when I came to realize that my sins were all forgiven. And I mean all of my sins, past, present, and future. That's how complete 
Jesus' sacrifice was for us. Even the sins that I haven't committed yet are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now again, that doesn't give me freedom to go out and commit as many sins as I want to. Of course not. That would be ridiculous. But to have that confidence, it, it kind of blows you away to realize how complete this grace is. You know, we sing the song, Amazing Grace, and we never cease to be amazed at how amazing that grace is. Paul says here in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Wow. Not even Satan can bring a charge that God will listen to. Nobody can bring a charge that God will listen to. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, he's the one who has the authority to condemn, but Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So that's what Jesus did for that woman. I mean, if, if that woman was just alone with that group of accusers there, they would have taken it upon themselves to stone her to death. But Jesus was in that circle with her. He didn't, he didn't leave her. He stayed there till her accusers were gone. He was interceding for her. He was at her side helping her. And you know what? He does the exact same thing for you and me every day every day of our lives. That's why his ministry is ongoing. He didn't just die on the cross, you know, 2,000 years ago. He intercedes for us daily because we need it. So notice what it says here in this passage. No charge can be brought against a Christian, and he gives us three reasons why. He says in verse 34, Christ Jesus, who died, so that's the first reason why no charge can be, abroad, be brought against a Christian. Christ died for us. He paid the penalty for our sins. He says more than that, who was raised to life. So not only did he die for us, the second reason no charge can be brought against a Christian, he is alive. Jesus is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father, which is a position of authority that he's been given now. And that authority also governs our lives as Christians. So Christ Jesus who died, reason number one, more than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God the Father, that's reason number two. And the third reason is, and this Jesus Christ is also interceding for us. Just as he did with the woman, stood by her side till all the accusers were gone, and set her free, he does the same thing for us on a daily basis, whenever we sin. That's why no charge can be brought against any Christian. Now, don't get me wrong, if you break the law of the land, charges, <laughs> and the police arrest you, charges will be brought against you. God can forgive you and will forgive you for whatever you've done, but sometimes you may have to pay a penalty for what you've done in the eyes of the law. You may end up in jail or pay a fine. You get a traffic ticket for speeding. Uh, that's a lesson you have to learn. 
so you'll have to pay that. But spiritually speaking, no charges can be brought against you in God's sight because of the work that Jesus did on your behalf. And you know, Jesus has done that on behalf of everyone. But it's up to us to come to understand that, to hear the gospel about that, and to believe it. You see, then it really applies to you. He has done his work on the cross for everyone. He's not going to do it again. It was a one-time thing, and it covers everybody. Now it's up to us to believe it, to have faith in it, to have trust in it, because it is real. It is reality, and it is our salvation. So Jesus, who was the sinless one, don't forget, he lived his life without ever sinning once. He was uniquely in a position to punish sin. But instead, in the case of the woman, he stayed with her within her circle of accusers. And he stands with us in a similar way, willing to take the stoning we have earned for our sins. And he did that by going to the cross. So he took the stoning on himself, if you will. Not just for this woman, but for all of us. Yet he said to the woman, and he says to us, neither do I condemn you. Not because you didn't sin, you did. But I am the only judge, and I forgive you. Go and sin no more. So what is our motivation for not sinning? Do we avoid sin because we don't want to go to hell? We don't, we don't want to be punished ultimately for our sins? No. We obey because of what Jesus has already done for us. He has taken the stoning we deserved, and he did that on the cross to the point of death. And now he applies that punishment he took to us. So we don't have to face that ultimate punishment for our sins. When you consider what he has done, who wouldn't want to obey such a God? See, that's our motivation for obedience. We don't, we don't obey because, oh, you know, we don't want to be punished ultimately for that. No, we come to understand through the gospel what Jesus has done on our behalf, and now we want to obey such a wonderful God, such a merciful God, such a grace-filled God. Turn with me to John chapter 5 and verse 22. John 5 and verse 22, Jesus is the judge. He's the one who's going to judge all people. In fact, he says here, moreover, John 5 verse 22, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. He is the one, the one and only judge of the whole human race. Isn't it good to have such a merciful judge judging us? Do you want him at your side as you face your accusers? I certainly do. And he has promised to be there for us and never leave us or forsake us. That's the God that he is. He is our high priest. He is our intercessor. And what a wonderful thing he has done. You know, that's why the gospel is called good news. Because this really is good news. It's wonderful news. But unfortunately, so many people today don't think about their life. They don't want to consider themselves to be a sinner because 
it's easier to see people who are worse than you. And they always make comparisons and say, well, yeah, I've had my problems in the past, but at least I'm not as bad as that guy. And that makes them feel better somehow. But by hearing the gospel, God wants you to come to the point where you realize, yes, you are a sinner. And if nothing were ever to happen, you know, to, to save you or to rescue you from your predicament, you're going to have to pay a terrible price to pay a penalty for what you've done in your life. So thanks be to God that, you know, he has brought us to the point that our eyes were opened and our heart was open and we, we saw the kind of person we've been and that we did need a savior. We did need help of some kind from God to rescue us. And that's why the gospel is truly good news. It's great news. It's wonderful news. One other scripture I'll look at in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It's profound and it's, it's so encouraging. Romans 8 verse 1, Paul says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not maybe, it's not if all the conditions are right, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So first of all, you have to make sure you're in Christ Jesus, that you believe in him, that you acknowledge him as the son of God and the savior of the whole human race and your personal savior. That's the way it's gotta be. And you wanna have an ongoing relationship with this savior of yours. You wanna be in Christ. We've seen many scriptures over the past several weeks to talk about the benefits and blessings that come to those who are in Christ. It talks about when Jesus returns, how he's gonna bring with him those who have died who are in Christ. So that means in relationship with him. You acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior. You read his words regularly. You pray to him on a regular basis. You find your refuge in him. You find your life in him. He's the light of the world that lights you up in this world of darkness in which we walk. It's all about him. And there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow, how refreshing that is. How wonderful that is. And it makes us want to obey him more. It makes, it makes us you know, read his words to understand the things that he taught, to want to live that way and please him in everything that we do. That's life changing. So God is in the process of transforming us, changing us into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not just about being baptized one time and then going merrily on your life the way you've always lived. A Christian life is all about change. Change for the better in God's sight. Change that may upset some of your friends or some of your relatives. Change that might confuse some people that you know as they see you change. Because they expect you to act the way you always used to act before you became a Christian. But no, God is changing you. He does the work. We just need to make sure that we comply with what he's doing in our lives. We don't dig our heels in and get real stubborn and resist change. No, we allow him to change us. And change us he will. 
And he is in the process of doing that, and he will do, do, do that work until the end. He'll complete that work, and he'll finish that work. Sometimes in spite of ourselves, he'll do that. So thanks be to God, and, and praise all praise to him. So let's remember this lesson of this woman, this unfortunate woman who was a sinner indeed. However, Jesus Christ stood by her side and was not allow, going to allow her accusers to kill her, to execute her, but he stood by her side until her accusers went away and he gave her the encouraging words, neither do I judge you, go and sin no more. The same advice applies to us. Let's remember that and make it apply to our own personal lives. Let's have the confidence of our forgiveness in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, but also the admonition to go and sin no more and to do our very best to live the kind of life that God wants us to. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful story that we were able to read and rehearse today. But it wasn't just a story from history, it's a story for today. It applies to each and every one of us who are in Christ. And Father, how awesome that is, how overwhelming that is to know that even when we do make mistakes, there are no charges brought to us. There is no condemnation. Why? Because we're in Jesus Christ. And what he did on our behalf applies to us. And we never get out from under that coverage. Our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And we thank you for that. We know we don't deserve that wonderful gift, but you've bestowed it on us because that's the kind of God you are. And we're going to worship you for all eternity because of it. So thank you, Father. We ask your blessing in our congregation today, and we thank you all for in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.